Welcome to the preaching podcast of LifePoint Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. All right, well, tonight we are in Revelation Revealed, Part 10. Revelation Revealed, Part 10. We're looking at Chapter 4, and we're going into Chapter 5 tonight. We're going to cover some ground, and man, this is getting good. So I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the book of Revelation. I pray, God, that you would give us Revelation from the book of Revelation that makes a difference in our lives. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, I want to do a little review and introduction. If you'll recall, we got the outline for the entire book of Revelation way back in chapter 1. Way back there. Chapter 1, verse 19, where Jesus told John, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The ancient Greek for after this is metatauta. And that's going to have some significance tonight. You'll see it as we get into it. Now the things which John had seen were the things he had just seen in his vision of Jesus in verses 12 through 18. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and turned Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. We looked at all that. His hair, uh, head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. You remember that. So that's, that's the things which John had seen. And the things which are, the second part of the outline, were things he wrote about in chapters 2 and 3 concerning the seven churches at Asia Minor, which we just finished up. And remember, there was an immediate local application. Obviously, the words that John wrote down as Jesus dictated them pertain to the actual specific churches in Asia Minor, right then and right there. But we also saw that there was also a more far-reaching application, each church representing an era of church history. We looked at all of that. So the book of Acts was, you know, like 30 years of church history, but the next 2,000 years were covered, represented by the seven churches in Revelation. And although there are pieces and parts of the other six churches within this era that we're in now, generally speaking, we're in the seventh era or the Laodicean church. Are you with me? But chapters 2 and 3 also have an overarching application as well. All of the churches together as a whole represent the church age. Everybody say the church age. So the things which John had seen were in chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. That vision of Jesus. The things which are were chapters 2 and 3. And so the things which will take place after this are the things we'll be looking at starting tonight. Again, pay attention to the wording. The things which will take place after this. Again, that Greek is metatauta, after this. So the question is, after what? 
after what? After the church age. After the church age is completed. After Jesus finishes speaking to the church. This is a huge key in our study. Let me go ahead and whet your appetite. Because I know some of you, you've enjoyed the seven churches, but you've been wanting to get to the rapture and the beast and the mark of the beast and all this stuff. So let me whet your appetite just a little bit. When Jesus is finished speaking to the church, there will be this thing called the rapture that will take place when Jesus comes to catch his bride away. Now the word rapture is not found in your Bible. And critics are quick to point this out. But the Greek word harpazo is in your Bible. And it means to snatch or to catch away. And it's the exact same idea. In fact, the Latin for harpazo is rapio or rapimor, where we get the English word rapture. So technically, it is in your Bible. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, the wording is in your Bible. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or dead, who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Notice the wording, from heaven with a shout, voice Trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Harpazo. Together. Raptured. Together. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So once the church age ends... The church is raptured, harpazo, caught up, taken to heaven. And that's exactly what we're looking at at the beginning of chapter 4, where we are tonight. Then, after that rapture, the metatauta, the things which will take place after this, after the church age, then those next things are revealed, and they go on from chapters 4 to 19. Are you with me? So this is going to get good. Verse 1 of chapter 4. After these things, metatauta. There it is again. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. Metatauta, once again, after this. So after Jesus was finished speaking to the church, a door was standing open in heaven. I love that. Remember, he's the one who opens and shuts doors. He described himself that way. And Jesus spoke to John with his voice like a trumpet and said, Come up here into heaven, and I will show you things which will take place after this, metatauta, after this. So the church's sojourn, starting here on earth, was over. 
And John was getting a preview of what would take place in heaven after the rapture and what would take place on earth after the rapture. I'm just going to tell you right now, I want to go up and I don't want to be here with what's coming on the earth after the rapture. Now, interestingly to me, a high percentage, somewhere around the 90 percentile range, somewhere around that percentage of mainline denominations do not officially believe in the rapture or the millennial reign of Christ, which we will look at later, the the millennial reign of Christ. According to an article in the August 2014 issue of U.S. Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church believes Jesus will come to live on the earth, but they do not believe in the catching away of the church, the catching away of the saints. I find this interesting as well. Lifeway, a conservative Baptist-owned, Baptist-run organization, did a survey of a 1,000 Protestant pastors in 2016 and found that only a little over half believed in the rapture, somewhere around 54%. The doctrine of the rapture is said to have been contrived in the 19th century in Scotland or by the Plymouth Brethren. Its critics say that it's nowhere to be found in the early church or even in the Bible. It's lampooned, ridiculed, made fun of. It's a fire escape, you know, like it's your fire escape, your emergency exit. But really, all of that is just ludicrous. We've already read the Thessalonians passage. The doctrine of the rapture is also mentioned or alluded to in the Gospels, the Pauline epistles, the general epistles, here in Revelation as well as all throughout the Old Testament, in the law, the prophets, the Psalms. We're going to talk a lot about the rapture as we get deeper into Revelation. Interestingly, chapters 5 through 19 of the book of Revelation are where judgment is being poured out on the earth. We'll see that. On those who have, in a sense, trampled underfoot the Son of God. And in those chapters, 5 through 19, the word church is never used. You know why? The church is not on the earth. The church is up in heaven. The church is not on the earth at that time. So let's move on. Verses 2 through 5. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So you have this fascinating situation where John is caught up into heaven. Question is, was his body there? Or was this an out-of-body experience? Was it just his spirit? Remember, Paul said something similar in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. I was caught up into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. So we don't really know this answer. But we know that John saw a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. This is absolutely incredible. 
Have you ever been to the governor's mansion? I have a few times, somehow, some way. Have you ever been to the White House? Well, we used to live up close to there, and we would do, you know, we were tour guides for people that would come through. We would go to the White House. We actually went in it. I've been in it a couple times. And then, and I've never been to Buckingham Palace or, or someplace like that. But there's something amazing about a seat of power, you know, a throne, so to speak, where power is executed, where, where power resides, something about it. But John wasn't caught up to Baton Rouge or Washington, D.C., or even Rome. But he was caught up, John was caught up to the seat of power for the entire universe. The highest power of all time and eternity. And there was one on the throne, the creator of heaven and earth. I love what Guzik says. He says the bottom line of atheism or materialism is that there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power that the entire universe must answer to. He goes on, the bottom line of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits upon that throne. But the truth is this, there is a throne, and mere man is not on it. The God of the Bible sits on the throne and rules and reigns, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we like it or not. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way, at the center of everything is an occupied throne. And John saw brilliant light emanating from the throne, like jasper, which some commentators say must be like possibly diamonds. This brilliant white light, and sardius, which is red like a ruby. Maybe it was signifying the shed blood of Jesus that was behind the power. Maybe it's shining like that in remembrance of Him. But then there was also this green-hued rainbow that, that was over the throne. And maybe it was a reminder of the covenant. The rainbow is a sign of the covenant. I will save man. I will not destroy man. So maybe it was this, this you know, the, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So maybe this is there for that remembrance. And maybe it's green-hued because all things are new and fresh and there's new life. There's this eternal springtime. And around the throne were 24 elders and 24 thrones clothed in white, these elders were, and they were wearing golden crowns. Who are these elders? Well, there's a lot of speculation as to who they are. I believe they represent the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles. They are wearing white robes. And even though angels have been seen wearing white apparel, this usually depicts the righteousness of Christ that is imputed. Imputed righteousness. Nothing we did got this robe on us. It was by His grace. And they were wearing crowns. So while angels have been described in white apparel, they've never been depicted as wearing crowns. And these crowns, are Stephanos crowns, meaning they are crowns of victory and not of royalty. In other words, these are the ones who had overcome. 
They had won. They had finished the race. And they had kept the faith. And they were given a crown of reward, of victory. But as we're going to see, it didn't mean anything to them. They cast the crown at the feet of Jesus. There was a tradition in Rome where the lesser king would lay his crown at the feet of the greater king. And then the greater king would give it back, and it was signifying, your power comes from me. That's the picture here. He's the king of kings, right? And the Lord of lords. And those 24 elders were representative saints. Now check this out. Are you with me? Oh, we're, we're hitting the good stuff here. For the most part, the Old Testament saints were one with Abraham by way of the word of the covenant that was expressed by the 12 descendants or the 12 sons of Israel, the patriarchs. In other words, the covenant that belonged to Abraham was passed down through his children, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and those ethnic Jews walking in faith with the covenant of the Almighty God. And then those that were proselyted in, they came by way of those 12 patriarchs. The New Testament saints are one with Jesus by way of the word of the new covenant as expressed by the 12 apostles. Now, Isn't this what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17 at the upper room discourse? When he said, neither do I pray for them alone, but for those who will believe on me through their word, that they may be one as you and I are one. Father, and so as we have believed in Jesus, we've only done so through their testimony, the twelve, through their word. And because of this, we've matched, we've unified, linked up. There's a sameness, a unity, a oneness that's only produced as we believe and obey the message that the 12 apostles preached. So the 24 elders here represent the church, Old Testament saints, and New Testament saints. There's a lot that I could say about this, but I've got to move on because even in Hebrews 11, it said that they, that we without them will not be made perfect, but we'll all as we saw already, will all be caught up. The dead in Christ, those Old Testament saints, and the rest of us, those who are alive and remain, we're all going to be caught up together in the rapture. In other words, they haven't had the rapture yet either. We've not had the rapture. But one day, the Old Testament saints, as well as us, after these things, after the church age, that rapture at the end is, is, is pulling us all up together. And then these things are going to take place. Are you with me? And there was lightning and thunder and voices that proceeded from the throne, depicting power. There were seven lamps of fire depicting the seven spirits of God, which we've seen before in this Revelation series. Again, power. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature 
were like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I believe this is a sea, this crystal sea. It's a sea that is as clear as glass. I don't think it's a glass sea. I don't think it's shards of glass. I think it's smooth, clear, crystal clear, like a reflecting pool. And then there were these extraterrestrial creatures, right? I mean, I I don't understand these. Full of eyes and around and in back. One was like a lion. The second was like a calf. The third was like a man. The fourth was like an eagle. You go study that out, my, my, go study that out, my friend, and you're going to come up with 150,000 different possibilities on that one. The way I see them, though, is that there's some kind of seraphim or cherubim, some kind of super angel. It reminds me of Isaiah 6, because they're just flying around, never resting, crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I love that. They knew their place. They're just flying and singing the praises of God. Look with me to verses 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I love this. As those creatures did their thing, holy, 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 it inspired The 24 elders, which represent all of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, the redeemed, they began to do their thing, casting their crowns at his feet. Everything we have came from you. We give you glory, oh Lord. You alone are worthy. I love that. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be patting yourself on the back and patting each other on the back and saying, good job. You're going straight to the throne and saying, it's only because of you that I am here, and I give you all the praise. So if you're going to do that there, why don't you start doing that here, right? Maybe we think we're doing it ourselves down here so he doesn't deserve the praise. But when you get over there, you're going to know. You might as well get it through your head now. It's all because of Jesus that I got anything in the first place. So I'm going to humiliate myself in worship and praise before you On this side of heaven, amen? On this side of heaven. Now we're going to jump into verse 1 of chapter 5. Look at that. We just went through an entire chapter. Can you believe it? It Took us forever to get through chapters 2 and 3. But now we're in chapter 5. Verses 1 through 7. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll. Y'all, this is getting, I'm just telling you, this is fixing to get good. I, I hope I can finish this up tonight. I might have to tease you. A scroll written inside and on the back. That's significant. Inside and, they didn't write on the back of scrolls. Inside and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel Proclaiming with a loud voice, 
I love that. You know, there was one angel who killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And here, this angel is described as a strong angel. It's like a super angel right here. A strong angel. Proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. This is John who walked with Jesus. He said, and I wept much. The wording there in the Greek is, I convulsed uncontrollably because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders, so a, a saint, he's, look, he's getting a glimpse into the future and the future talks to him. This man who lived in 95, 96 A.D., this, this 2,000 year in the future person talks to him and says, John, do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now I'm going to try to get this to you really quickly. This amazing story, man, is tucked away that has to do with this. There's a couple of Old Testament. The Old Testament is full. That's why so many people in denominationalism have written off the book of Revelation. I'm not going to lie to you. As a preacher, like it's, it's a complicated book, right? People say, oh, the Bible's so easy. A child can understand it. Really? Go for it. In the book of Revelation, you know? It's not the easiest book in the world. But I believe, and we've already seen this, there is special blessings that come on us as we dive into the book of Revelation. We saw that from the very beginning. The Lord Himself said that. And so here you have this, this, this story in Jeremiah that I want to share with you. But one of the reasons that many people have avoided the book of Revelation is because they don't know their Old Testament like they should. Because the Old Testament is really... There's so much richness woven into the book of Revelation that comes from the Old Covenant. And one of the stories comes from Jeremiah, and it's in the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah. The Lord instructed, I'll just tell you the story, Jeremiah to buy, or literally to redeem, the field of his cousin. It seemed ridiculous because Jeremiah was in prison. And because Jeremiah knew that very soon the children of Israel were going into Babylonian captivity. And there was no guarantee for Jeremiah that he would ever even be alive at the end of the 70 years of captivity. But in obedience, he bought that field anyway. And at the end of the captivity, 
his descendants got the field. Now, I'm telling you this because there was a title deed that he got for that property. The contract, the title deed for the land was written on the front and on the back. It was a real estate transaction. Only important legal documents had writing on the outside of a scroll. It was instructions like who could open this. It was like a notary seal. There were instructions on this title deed. So it had writing on the outside of the scroll. You know, these are papyrus or animal skins at times. And so you had a rough side and you had the smooth side. They would write on the smooth side, roll it up. Now here's another piece of the puzzle. The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. It's an amazing, amazing book. It tells the story of the kinsman redeemer. Boaz was the one who was worthy, who could step up to the plate and redeem what Naomi had lost. So now follow me. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But Psalm 115.16 says, The highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. How can the earth and the fullness thereof be the Lord's And yet he's given the earth into the children of men, and it all be true at the same time. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. God owns it all, but he gave the earth to Adam for 6,000 years for a lease. And Adam had usufrux. He had the use of the property, the use of the planet. Psalm 90 and 4, and Second Peter 3, and 8. And if you miss this, go back and listen to the podcast. It says, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Now really, we could talk about how God created the end from the beginning. And if you were to try to figure out end time things, you need to figure out beginning time things. Revelation is really couched in Genesis. Genesis. Genesis is really couched in Revelation. Our last series was Genesis. Now we're in Revelation. And so when you go back to the book of Genesis, you had six days of creation, didn't you? And and Adam was created on that sixth day. And God gave to Adam a lease for the planet for 6,000 years. However, early on, he sublet it or You could say that he signed away his rights to dominate the planet. It's called the fall of man. And ever since then, the devil has been called the God of this world. John himself wrote and said, The whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. In the temptation of Jesus, the devil came to Jesus and said, All this, you see all these kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you. Because they were given to me and whoever I give them to. Who gave them to the devil? The Lord? No. Adam gave away his rights, his lease. His lease. But in Revelation 5, we get a glimpse of the future. And we get a glimpse into the closing attorney's office. We get a glimpse at an escrow transaction taking place where there was only one descendant of Adam. Because we have a genealogy on Jesus where he's the son of God, and we got another one that says he's the son of Adam. Okay? There's one descendant, 
worthy to redeem, whoo, to redeem the earth. Are you with me? Nobody else was worthy. And John weeps uncontrollably, convulsing. There's no one worthy. And then all of a sudden, all of this Jewish imagery comes to place. We haven't seen this kind of Jewish talk since the beginning of the book. All of a sudden, one of the elders, let me read it again, said, Do not weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seal. The writing on the outside is saying there is one worthy, and his name is Jesus. He has prevailed to open the scroll. He is the Redeemer. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the only one worthy to take back everything that Adam lost. And the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Of the increase of his government and kingdom, there shall be no end. He is not just a dainty savior that people hang on a cross around their necks or in their ears or on a ring or on a sign. He is a risen Savior. But it's not just a rolled away empty tomb, a rolled away stone that we sing about on Easter. He is the King of all the universe. And everything that Adam lost, Christ has gotten back and even more. You are on the winning side. You hear me? It doesn't matter the way it looks. It doesn't matter how you feel. Christ will prevail. Amen? Give him some praise right now. Verses 8 through 10. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each having a guitar. I mean a harp. Probably a guitar. Certainly not a ukulele. I'm certain they're all guitars. They plugged in their amps. They clicked their pedals. They pumped up the volume. And golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, and then that new song's got history too, prayers of the saints too. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. It's like they said, you guys ready? I got a song. And they just kind of all got it together. I'm with you. I got the same song. And a one, two, three, four, boom. And they start singing together. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now that's unprecedented language, especially to the Jewish mind. Because if you'll remember... You had a royal tribe, Judah, and you had a priestly tribe, Levite. Only four, only three entities have ever been a king and a priest. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Jesus Christ was a king and a priest. And the redeemed 
the redeemed. The saints of the living God are called here kings and priests unto our God. Verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Let me read that again. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, all joining in together, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in which was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever. So Jesus closes the deal, and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, just as He planned from the very beginning. Stand with me right now. I'll tell you the way He did it. I'll tell you where you first heard it. When Eve was tricked in the garden, she was tricked. Adam wasn't. That's what Paul said. Eve was deceived, but not Adam. And he starts negotiating that old slew foot, that snake, that Satan. He said, oh, that God said, no, listen to me. And he starts negotiating the terms of surrender. And when it's all said and done, Adam takes the crown off his head and puts it on Lucifer's head, Satan's head. He becomes the God of this world. And all hell breaks loose. Everything changes. Immediately everything changes. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed. Everything changed. And the Lord comes and says, Adam, what have you done? Adam's like, it's all her fault, right? Even though she was tricked and he wasn't. Oh, my goodness. You lying dog, you. It's her fault. He goes to the woman. The woman says, it's the snake's fault. And the Lord begins to speak the end from the beginning. He says, listen to me. You're going you're gonna to strike the heel of the seed of the woman. But he's going to crush your head. That crown you're wearing, you're not going to wear it forever. You may have it for the next 6,000 years, but the Lord had already seen it. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world will prevail. The lamb has prevailed. He is worthy. And he gets the scroll. I'm the kinsman redeemer. Nobody's worthy. I am. I'm taken back. You know what I'm saying? That's the gospel message. It's pretty epic. It's much more epic than Sunday school and 
Nothing against Sunday school. I know we got to do what we got to do. But it's much more epic and huge, the redemption, the high price. So is it any wonder that he says, before I pour out all this judgment, I'm going to pull you up higher. And John said, I heard a voice. Come up higher like a trumpet. And I'll show you things that are coming to pass after the church is taken away. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I am not afraid to admit it, right? I believe in that. If you believe the Bible, you might as well eat the whole thing, right? I mean, you say you believe in a God who created heaven and earth, you might as well believe in a God who can redeem the earth, snatch away the saints, renew the earth, and then come back and, and, and take over a, a, a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? Can you lift your hands to Him right now? Thank you, Jesus. My problems are not too big for you. You've got it under control, Lord. Nothing's too hard for you. You know the end from the beginning. You make all things new. The enemy is not too powerful for you. You've got it under control, Lord. You've got my world under control, Lord. You know who I am and where I am and what I'm facing. You've got my marriage. Lord, you've got my health. You've got my finances. The, the devil's a liar. I'm putting my trust in the one who wins in the end, and I'm never letting go. I'm going to wear a crown one day, Lord, and I'm going to cast it before your feet. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to keep the faith. Ain't no devil can take the faith away from me. I'm not putting the blame on anybody else. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Let the world go crazy, but I'm going to walk and live for you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.